Amen. All right, if you guys will stay standing, uh, if you look in your worship, God, we're going to read the scripture together. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by one spirit, and to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, and to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now we say together, all flesh is like grass. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, welcome out this morning on this cool, brisk fall morning. I got up uh, this morning and kind of sat on the porch with some coffee and was just immediately thrilled because a couple of the trees out uh, from where our porch looks over have already turned red and changed colors. This is my absolute favorite time of year. I had a little internal bet with myself going this morning to see how many people would wear flannel. And I'm a little disappointed. There's not as much flannel as I thought there would be. Uh, I kind of think that in the South, we should make fall just a season holiday, a season long holiday, uh, right? So flannel and pumpkin and apple spice and all the good things. Uh, Well, it is a good morning. It is a beautiful morning and we are to be thankful for that. And I am thankful to be here with you guys this morning and hopefully do the Lord some honor and sharing the word and kind of sharing some things that he has been teaching me as I've been studying this passage. So um, today we're going to try and answer the question, why do we serve? Why do we serve? Why are we here? Why does Redstone and among other churches exist in the East Tennessee area? And we're gonna answer that question in the context of why are we given the spiritual gifts? What are they here for? What do they empower us to do? Are are we just to use them for our own personal gain or benefit? And so learning your spiritual gifts actually requires a few things of us. Consistent community participation in which we're known and we serve consistently. We trust and surrender to Jesus all that we have, our time, our talents, our treasures. And we cultivate a heart that desires to love God and his people. I haven't always known my gifts and I haven't always, and my gifts haven't always been the same. There have been times where I've been caught in moments where I'm completely inequipped to handle that moment. And I've seen the spirit of God show up and carry me through that moment and give me a gift in the moment that would help me either minister to that person or help me through a time that I'm going through myself. A few 
that God has consistently used me in is it seems to, he always puts me in place where I can practice the gift of leadership or wisdom or preaching and teaching and at times discernment. But I started merely just by serving in the church wherever I was able. And this is going back all the way to when I first became a believer, you know, setting up chairs or doing a hospitality table or, you know, just wherever I could go. And through that process, I inevitably learned some areas that God had uniquely gifted me in, spiritually gifted me. And it seemed to be the places where one, my passions intersect with, intersected with that very often. And two, I just seemed to really kind of supernaturally excel in those areas where I normally probably wouldn't on my own. That could be the case for most of us here. We may be very comfortable with the gifts or we may be very apprehensive because we've maybe seen things happen like that happened in the church at Corinth. I myself am a prime example. I feel as the community working together to help someone develop their gifts. I've been able to grow in my gifts because of the faithful discipleship of other believers into my life. So if you find yourself blessed and changed today by this sermon, that is the faithful outworking of the Holy Spirit in my life and other faithful church members pouring into me. And so it's a, it's a collective effort for us to practice our gifts and to know what they are. I'm just trying to do the best that I can to faithfully serve God and help edify you guys and pour into you guys as I've been gifted. It could be completely different for some of you sitting here today. I found that just being involved in community and serving to be the best route in discovering what your spiritual gifts are. Fellow believers will also begin to acknowledge areas that you're gifted in and they can say, hey, you know what? You really did that with some supernatural excellence. You just seem to be really gifted. It's like second nature. And there, like I said earlier, there may be times where you have this passion and God's giving you that passion because it carries you through that area that he's given, given you a gift to, to uh, work in. So as we go through the passage, I want a few questions just to kind of be on the forefront of our mind. Why do we show up here every Sunday? Why do we go to community group? Why do we do like Redstone on the lawn? What's your heart, heart focused on when you gather with the church? What are the gifts that God is giving you? What is the purpose of those gifts? Do you regularly practice them? And have others in the body confirmed or acknowledged those giftings? I've literally met people before that have said their name and then they'll say, I'm a prophet. Like they've, they've taken on the gift as an identity, like that's who they are. But I've seen people that often say that are really actually disconnected from the church. They've kind of taken it and named that gift and claimed it for themselves while kind of being disjointed from the body itself just to kind of like elevate themselves in a place that they feel a need to find attention. But the main idea for us today is that we would show up here every Sunday or any gathering whatsoever with, the, with other believers with a ready heart and willing hands, operating in the power of the Holy Spirit to diligently and humbly build up the body of Christ using the gifts that he has given us. And may our gifts be used to serve others and to actually deny ourselves to build the body of Christ and to make him known and not us. Because ultimately the church elevated to glorify God will be the most successful we'll ever be as a church body. So what are we looking at when we look at the church of Corinth? What was going on? It seems a mess, right? If anybody reads this letter and doesn't think it's a mess, I would be very uncomfortable at how comfortable you are with reading Corinthians. 
Well, first of all, Corinth as a city was a very paganistic city, very vibrant culture, uh, a lot of different temples and, and deities to worship. And so it's quite chaotic. You go to this temple over here and it'd be this God and they worship this way and then this way and then this way and so on. So a lot of confusion. There was never any consistency across the board. The most consistent things would have been child sacrifice or actually temple prostitution seemed to be the most common, common denominator amongst them. There are actually recorded instances though of some of these pagan religions having a mimicked type of spiritual experience along with the Christian church, such as utterances or overwhelming supernatural experiences. But as we know, and we read earlier in Corinthians, Paul says, you know, you're worshiping these idols and you're having these experiences, but really you're entertaining demonic influence. And so Paul is addressing in Corinthians verbal reports that disclose problems of divisiveness, incest, Christians suing each other in pagan courts, immorality, abuse of the Lord's Supper, and the denial, actual denial of the resurrection of the body. So where, where are we at today? Are we any different? Eh, maybe, yeah. We're, we're probably not the Corinthian church, but I would say a lot of the heart motivations that they had, we could be very tempted with the same things. Some of us actually are very tempted just to be passive participants and not actively serve and just warm a chair and go home. Or maybe others are inclined to serve just to gain influence and nab some glory from God instead of giving it to him. But thankfully, Jesus has not left us in our fallen condition. He has not given up on us. He has redeemed us into his body and has surrounded us with people that can minister to us and hold us accountable to serve with integrity and honor and glory to God. So the current spiritual state of Corinth that we're seeing is that it was a self-oriented and, and uh, experience-oriented gathering of believers. It was all about the emotionalism, the, the height of spiritual ecstasy, the, the exuberance of which the gifts were executed. It was a show. It was meant to glorify men instead of, men, of, of God. And this really goes back to their previous pagan experiences where we often see that pagan religions appeal to the self more than others. The Corinthians also believed that unity came through uniformity. They had a hyper-focus on the gift of tongues. They believed that all Christians, if they were truly mature, would speak in tongues. But Paul corrects them by explaining that diversity in the body through unity is actually what makes the body of Christ reach maturity and have effectiveness in the kingdom of God. See, when we look at the American church, we're actually not much different. We're taking outside influences from culture and other religions and we rebrand them and we, and, we, and we say, well, we've redeemed that. We can use that in the church. I've even heard of churches that have taken tarot cards and rebranded them as angel cards for a way for Christians to kind of fleece God in this weird spiritual mashup. But we've also created in the American church a self-oriented and experience-oriented church body gathering as well, where individualism is catered to through worship, preaching, and marketing. Experiences of positivity and niceness are valued more than truth and repentance. A church that prioritizes, prioritizes the individual, individual higher than the actual body of Christ will always be weak 
and never really grow to full maturity and missional effectiveness. It's a concerted communal effort. It's not weighed on one man's back as we so often see in the South where it's one big church and one guy that does everything, hospital visits, preaching. It's just a spiritual gift monopoly all on one person. And that enables the rest of the people just to show up and be spectators and fill a seat and go home and feel really good. It's, it's what we would call um, uh, something therapeutism. There's a big long word for it. But basically we go just to give ourselves therapy and make, her, make us feel better about ourselves. People leave churches today based on preferences or convenience rather than really legitimate issues. For example, in conversations that I've had through the years, they leave because the worship style is meh. Preaching personality, the kids' ministry falls flat. Or they'll say, I just don't get anything from the sermons. Or it's not spiritual enough for me. Or it's boring. Or the service is too long. I'm sorry, did God interrupt your day? Hopefully you wore some steel-toed boots today. That's all I'm saying. But when we compare the issues of Corinth to our modern time, people literally leave the body of Christ for the reasons that we would stop shopping at a grocery store where they don't carry the items that I really like anymore. Or my favorite clerk isn't there anymore. Our commitment to the body of Christ is much deeper and more spiritual than we even realize. We're all tied together for eternity. Oftentimes we find ourselves more committed and faithful to secular institutions than the body of Christ. Companies that actually betray our morals, our ethics, and our values will oftentimes find deeper commitment and faithfulness from our hearts and pockets than the body of Christ. We'll spend more time tempted to develop our knowledge of media or, so, or social media rather than a deeper knowledge of Christ and the gifts that he's given to each of us. So let's go ahead and look at the passage and kind of look at where we can find some hope as a body of gathered believers about why we serve and why we've been given the gifts. Just to be clear going into this, if you're thinking I don't have a gift, the minute the Holy Spirit regenerated you and saved you and God came into your life, your salvation was made perfect, whole, and complete. God at that moment prepared a lot of good works for you to do and equipped you to complete every one of those good works. So take that as an encouragement as we read this today. So starting in verse one, Paul begins first by stating the issue that he aims to address. The issue was not that the Corinthians were practicing the gifts with vigor or excitement. It was really in the how and the why they were doing them. It was, it was a them show. It was a me show. They were forsaking their brothers and sisters on the altar of popularity and influence instead of glorifying the Father. We see a few things. We see a church where people were being left out of what was supposed to be the Lord's Supper, but it turned into a selfish gluttony fest. We see a church where a guy was committing incest with one of his family members. We see a church where spiritual experiences were pursued and people were torn down instead of the gospel being preached and people being edified. We see a church where believers were abusing the gifts and not pursuing them biblically. Most of us would probably have left the Corinthian church and maybe went down the streets to Second uh, Corinthians, you know, instead of First Corinthians. That was a joke. You guys can laugh a little bit. 
Or maybe we should consider that we're really not that much different. Maybe some of us have the potential of being just as big of a problem as some in the Corinthian church were being. And one would have to assume that given the issues that Paul would have discouraged them from continuing to practice the gifts, but he kind of doubles down. This is all the more. Practice them, but know their purpose and know why God has given them to you. And I would have to say that a neglect of the gifts is just as bad as the abuse of the gifts. Because whereas one distorts the purpose of them given to God, the other one ignores the purpose of them being given from God. So may that not be us. May our aim be to frequently, constantly, and diligently and humbly use the gifts of God to build each other up so that when we leave here, our faiths are edified and we know that we have experienced a piece of the grace of God. Paul tells the Corinthians that he doesn't want them to operate in ignorance, but that he wants them to understand the true purpose of the church gathered and the church empowered. He's hopeful that they'll repent and get back on track. But the way they were exercising the gifts, they ended up just being a bunch of noisy, annoying people that were actually tearing people down. He instructs him to to forget all of their previous inclinations of spirituality and give those up. Don't care what happened at the temple of Aphrodite or Apollos. You're a new creation in Christ. You think a different way. Then he says, however you were led. And by this statement, we can see that there's, they were led in all different directions through paganism. There was all kinds of different spiritual experiences from hundreds of different gods. And he tells them, like I said earlier, that they're actually entertaining demons. It was not uncommon to see those spiritual experiences very much mimic Christianity. But this scripture gives us a very insightful piece of wisdom for distinguishing whether a gift is used under the influence and empowerment of the Holy Spirit or under the influence of man or paganism. The statement here shows that no one can proclaim Jesus as Lord or bring him glory unless they're surrendered to the Holy Spirit themselves. Anything that is done in a manner that belittles, blasphemes, or curses Christ is not of the Holy Spirit's power. I read in a commentary that a spiritual Christian is a believer under the control of the Holy Spirit as compared to someone who is under the control of their flesh or demonic spirit. We see in Galatians that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Not this crazy spiritual experience where people kind of flop on the floor and bark like dogs and things that we've seen throughout time, but it's a very orderly fashion. Now, I'm not saying that God can't do crazy things and someone has a demon and, the, you know, and the demon's like fighting, but ultimately it's going to lose. But what I am saying is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is ultimately self-control. That he's not going to have you do like, the, has anybody seen the Blues Brothers, the tent revivals, those scenes? Just jumping jacks and backflips and everything. Sure, we can have fun when we gather but it's, Paul is laying out very clear, there is order to this. God is not a God of chaos. And the thing to note about pagan religions is that they appeal to us. They influence us to be selfish, to pursue our own pleasure. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, that if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. 
Then we get to verse four. And Paul begins to establish that the Lord is sovereign over the ministry of the church. When we read it, it says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of, the, of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And we see these three different words here in the Greek. And Paul is actually including the fullness of the Trinity in the ministry of the church. You see that gifts are attributed to the Holy Spirit, that administrations to the Lord Jesus, and that the operations are ultimately from the God the Father. This would have been a paradigm shift for the Corinthians because there is one God that is the source of empowerment for all in the church. The reality would be a stark revelation to them. One God empowering many people within one body of believers for one purpose. See, there's a variety of things that we do. We're all separate in different parts, but we're all collectively working together ultimately to achieve the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not some strategy or ABC step program. It is a supernatural mission given by a holy God. Therefore, a common people such as us need a holy and uncommon God to empower us to fulfill that supernatural mission. It's gonna take supernatural power and abilities and ministries to achieve a supernatural mission. But again, the reigning issue for the Corinthians is that they were tunnel vision on the, the gift of tongues. And we kind of get a glimpse of Paul fighting this as he lists out the gifts. Here, starting in verse eight, talking about the most common gifts first that they would probably have overlooked. How many of you guys overlook the hospitality desk when you come in. It's okay to admit it, it's okay. But what you don't realize is that God has uncommonly gifted those people to make you feel welcome when you come in the door. And we discredit that and we say, well, that's not really, uh, you know, it's not somebody doing this amazing awestruck thing, but it actually is because you know how uncommon it is for a human being to show others compassion and love? It's a supernatural gift from God. Have you guys ever been to someone's house and they make you feel so welcome that you just don't wanna leave? You're like, wow, I could live here forever, right? I love these warm cookies, even though they're bad for me and the coffee is amazing and the energy is just good and like, right? That is a supernatural gift because left to ourselves, we don't operate like that as human beings. Just look around the world, they're eating each other. So the last thing that we should do is eat each other, right? Jeff Durbin, um, uh, a pastor of a church. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead. I don't wanna skip ahead, I don't wanna give away anything. We look at verse seven and it talks about the common good. I wanna talk about this for a minute. What is the common good? Well, I'll tell you a few things that a common good is not. Common good is not our selfish desires over the needs of others. It's not glorifying ourselves over glorifying God. It's not spiritually manipulating people and abusing them. It's not our self-preferences over what the church is actually called to be. The common good is not giftedness rather than maturity and healthiness. The common good is not an attitude of no others instead of the one another's. The common good in the Greek gives this picture of something that is doing something that is advantageous for all. It's mutually beneficial. It's doubly good for them to be together. It's a common collective of people for a common movement. 
It's sharing part in each other's burdens. The, this is the reason we serve. This is the crux of this passage. We serve before the common good. And the common good is God's aim for people. Why do we gather is an important question to ask. And the answer to that question will give us the answer of why we serve. If our attitude and posture when we gather is solely just me, then we're consumers and we'll never find joy and we'll never be fully satisfied gathering with God's people. If we don't love the church now, then how do we expect to love the church in eternity? The quote I was about to say, it says, our hearts are, being either, are either being prepared for eternity or they're not. Love for our brothers and sisters is something that will happen forever. If that doesn't appeal to our hearts, then heaven is going to be a miserable place for us. We should aim to put the gifts into practice as often as we gather and as often as we're able. And when we're not able, we pray for strength because God will renew our strength. And as we think about what Christ has done for us, it should stir our hearts into a place of love and humility. And out of that place of love and humility, we can truly serve our communities most effectively. You see, a follower of Christ is found to be measured in maturity by their depth of understanding of love, service, and sacrifice, and not by their outward giftings and talents. Let me say that again. A follower of Christ is found to be measured in maturity by their depth and understanding of love, service, and sacrifice, and not by their outward giftings and talents. Because for most often, like the Corinthians, people will write checks on their gifts that their character cannot cash. Because the Corinthians were more worried about an extravagant display of their gifts than pursuing and glorifying God and being a servant to their neighbor. And the gifts are sovereignly distributed given the context of the body's location. This is something that we can gather from this because when we see the letter written to the Corinthians, it's not the same letter written to Romans or Galatians or Colossians or even in 1 Peter when he writes about the gifts, right? See, God knows our community. He knows how he can distribute the gifts through the power of his spirit to uniquely and effectively serve the communities we live in. He's, you may not think this, but God even so happened to orchestrate you getting your home and planning you where you're at because you might have just the right personality to reach your neighbors. You might have just the right ability to make someone feel in your home like they've never been welcomed anywhere before. To be an effective church, we have to have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because the things we're called to do are not ordinary things and are impossible and cannot be completed without the power of God in each of our lives. Are we ready at Redstone and willing to work towards the common good while seeking the gifts to help edify our brothers and sisters and glorify God? The gifts were intended for the good of the church so that we could advance the kingdom of God among men. We also are not to envy other people's gifts. All gifts are for the perfecting of the saints. So don't discredit yourself. Don't despise the way God has made you because he has made you 
for a unique set of purposes and works that he has prepared for you. Then we get to verse, so verse seven is kind of the mission behind the list of these gifts in verses eight through 10. We could spend months discussing what each of these gifts are and how they operate in the body. But that's not what we're gonna focus on today. Speaking of tongues, um, I had a, a funny thought, you know, we believe in tongues in the Ellis household. I was in the kitchen the other morning and Wyatt started speaking and it sounded like babble to me, but the next thing I know, I had an interpretation and I'm making him a bottle. I have no idea how that happened. It's a joke, you guys can laugh. I had to cut the seriousness for a minute. But these gifts that are listed, if you'll, if you'll read that list and just kind of look at how they're listed, and I would say often the ones that are listed first are ones we often take for granted. I know there are people in this room that when I look at their lives and I look at the immense amount of faith that God has given them and how just they trust in God no matter what happens in their life or the world, they just have this joy. And that's a spiritual gift and it encourages me. It edifies my faith. It challenges me to trust God even more. When we look at chapter 14 in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, I apologize. In verse 12, it said, we kind of get a further comment on the purpose of the gifts. He says, so with yourself, since you're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This is some exciting news. We're given permission to pursue the gifts, pursue God and seek how he has gifted each other. And sometimes we'll find out that one person was gifted in this way, I was given this way, and they uniquely come together to create this powerful movement in reaching people. How exciting is it to think about that God and the power of the Spirit is helping you to supernaturally have an impact on those around you? Think about that. This could mean that you have the supernatural ability to love people like no one has ever loved them before or encourage others by a spirit endowed ability to have great faith in Jesus or to make your home so hospitable that people literally never wanna leave. Imagine the impact we could have on this city and our gatherings each time we gather if each of us stirred up a fire in our bellies to seek the gifts so that we may glorify power may glorify God in a powerful manner and see lives changed. What an exciting thing to think about, but what if we don't just think about it and imagine it, but we actually do it? We can see here in the text that there's an empowerment of the individual that adds up to the total sum of the body being empowered for the Great Commission. We each have a responsibility to seek the Spirit daily, to live in His power, it's actually an act of love for our neighbor because our gift was given for the pursuit of our neighbor. Again, you might be asking, what if I don't like my gift, Gary? What if it stinks? What if I don't like being hospitable? What if I don't want people in my home? What a futile venture it is because to despise the gift that you've been given is to despise the very character of God because it is a grace given to you to extend the grace of God to someone else. 
We need pastors. We need evangelists. We need people gifted in faith. We need hospitality, gifted children's teachers, people gifted in serving and teaching youth, people gifted in administrative areas. We need people gifted in hospitality. We need people gifted in creativity. We need people gifted in writing and service and so much more. The more diversely a church is gifted, the more broad its depth of influence and growth it will have. But please don't hear me wrong and take me as a salesman by selling you some pitch on a perfect formula for church growth and success. When we revisit 2 Corinthians, we see a very hopeful picture. They've actually repented and reoriented their hearts towards Jesus. They now strive towards building each other up, which in turn builds the church up. As I referenced in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, he says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what I'm saying is if you want to be somebody, the church is the place to do it. You could say we're always looking for a helping hand. You guys are, gosh. I actually laughed at those this morning. I thought they were funny. Usually my jokes are more funny at how not funny they are. If others around us don't desire to know their gifts, then we get cheated. If you don't desire to know your gifts, then you cheat others. Our spiritual gifts were not given for us to use at our own discretion, benefit, or advancement, but for the benefit of our brothers and sisters and vice versa. We see them used in community. There's no such thing as a lone wolf preacher with no community to teach. There's no such thing as a lone wolf healer with no one to heal, and there's no such thing as a hospitable person with an empty house. So you might be asking, well, where are the gifts today, Gary? I've never seen the gift of tongues. I've never even seen someone healed. Well, you might have, you just maybe didn't see them get healed. I've experienced a plethora of spiritual gifts. I hurt my back working out in college one time and it plagued me for months. I I went to a chiropractor, I stretched it. I know a little bit about physical therapy enough to kind of therapy my back. I could not get it to go away. And we were at a community group one night and uh, I asked this uh, uh, old guy, Ron, like I loved Ron. Um, I hope him and Cindy are doing well. Man had seen some amazing things in his life in the mission field here in the U.S. I said, Ron, my back won't relent. It will not give up. And he looked at me, he said, well, where's it hurt? And he laid his hand on the place that it hurt. And it was the kind of back pain where if I bent over the wrong way, it would take my breath and I'd get kind of stuck there for a minute. And he prayed over my back and it, the next morning I woke up and I could get out of bed and move like I hadn't in months. Now, I can't explain to you how God did that, but it happened. It happened. I, didn't, I don't know what happened. I, he didn't say anything extravagant. He just said, Lord, we just ask you in your grace and mercy that you would send your spirit to heal Gary's body. See, there's nothing actually that states in Scripture that the charis- more charismatic gifts will be everywhere in every church at all times. There's nothing that gives that mandate. But like I said earlier, the Lord knows each community uniquely. We may not need the gift of tongues at Redstone, and there may be a day we we need it. But only the Lord and his sovereignty will know, and we should trust and be okay with that. Like I said, it's probably that more like we take the lesser common gifts, if we would say it that way, for granted. 
Maybe some of you say, well, I've heard that the gifts can be earned, that they can be imparted or activated. Well, this isn't like going Super Saiyan and Dragon Ball Z, if anybody knows the reference. Now we read in the following verse and we see that the Spirit sovereignly gives gifts to whom he sees fit and empowers them according to his will, not ours. We cannot impart spiritual gifts to people because we have no such ability. We cannot activate the Spirit in people by claiming that they need a second baptism either because in, in Ephesians, it makes it very clear that there is one Spirit, one baptism of which each believer is baptized into the body of Christ. John MacArthur would say, a spiritual gift is a supernaturally designed ability granted to every believer by which the Holy Spirit ministers to the body of Christ. A spiritual gift cannot be earned or worked up. It is merely received through the grace of God. Let me give you an example. Let's say we have an ocean. We have two vessels in the ocean. We have a a sailboat and a submarine. And it's a naval fleet. We have an admiral that sits over both of those ships. Well, on the sailboat, each man has a different part to play in order to sail with success to the glory of their admiral and to the safety and success of their shipmates. But within the same sea, there are men that find themselves on a submarine and each have a special part to play. These men, although in the same waters, require a different set of gifts and parts to play because their context is different. Still, the same is required of them to do their part for the glory of their admiral and the well-being of their shipmates. Redstone will uniquely look different than other churches, and that's okay. That's okay. We'll have a different demographic. We'll have a different community to reach. That's all right, because the Lord knows what we are doing, and he, Jesus is the ultimate pastor of this church. He is the, our shepherd. He will lead us in where we need to go. See, some gifts were probably more common at one place and in one church than were others, depending on the Spirit's sovereign distribution. Some people were, pro- some were probably more common at some times than at others, but still the Spirit is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. Then we get to verses 12 through 13. See, our bodies need blood to live. Blood carries all the nutrients to every organ and every place and every space that we have in our body so that we may move. My hands cannot move without blood flow. If I took a rubber band and wrapped it around my wrist and left it there and it cut off the blood flow, what would happen to my hand? It would die. Christians who isolate themselves from the body, they're gonna, they're gonna kill their life. They're never gonna have joy. You can YouTube sermons, you can podcast sermons, you can do all that. You can sit at home and say you're having church by yourself, but that's not church. You've got the wrong, we don't go to church, we go to a church service where the church participates. We gather with the church. We don't go to church. I think language is very important, especially in our day and age with so much confusion. See, there are many members and each of us are different. We're made different. We have different personalities. We have different gifts. There are varied services that we're involved in with the church. But our aim should be to serve so closely in unity that each of us know each other's gifts. As many as, like, if I have someone that needs prayer, and I know someone that has this enormous gift of being able to pray with people, I, can know, I should be able to know and say, hey, that person is really amazing at ministering to people through prayer. Maybe I should go find them. 
That doesn't mean that we become disconnected from that moment and we don't participate. We Surely we can still pray, right? We should still seek to have a fervent prayer life. See, as we grow, we actually create, uh, develop an appreciation for our own bodies. I'm watching my son learn to appreciate his legs right now because he can jet through the house. He can ride his little tricycle now, right? As we grow, we appreciate how our body functions. We appreciate being able to grab that glass of water and satiate our thirst with a cool glass of water, right? It should be the same as, as Christians. As we grow and mature, we develop an appreciation for the body of Christ, So what do we do with this? What do we do with this passage? What do we do with these truths that are in this passage? Do you believe in the gifts? Maybe you don't because of a bad representation or you saw someone abuse them. Well, I would encourage you to remember that just as in all, just as in all things we do, there's always an earthen, fleshly vessel involved that might mess it up a little bit or a whole lot. Let's find ourselves filled with some grace. Or maybe you're saying, okay, I totally get what you're saying, Gary, I believe you 100%, but still, what do I do? Where do I start? Well, first of all, you just show up willing to serve and love your brothers and sisters. Pray for the Spirit to reveal how He has gifted you. Seek help from the body, believers around you to help identify your gifts. Serve for God's glory and not your own. Know your church well enough to know your neighbor's needs and burdens because needs and burdens identify the, the gifts that are needed to meet those. Practice the one another's in the power of the Spirit. Maybe time-wise you should say, what am I saying yes to? What am I saying no to? Are you indifferent? Are you doing too little or too much? Or are you just doing nothing at all? Start somewhere. There are plenty of places here at Redstone to serve and love the community. Start praying and serving and participating in the communal pursuit that we have here to grow as the body of Christ. We should always show up, as I stated earlier, with a ready heart and willing hands in the power of the Spirit. Diligently and humbly serving the body of Christ using the giftings that we have received. We serve because we've all been commanded and invited to serve and be a part of the miraculous work that God is doing where we live. We serve because we're surrounded with people that need the miraculous and powerful workings of Christ in their life. We serve most of all because Jesus gave up his life and was resurrected so that we may receive the Holy Spirit to do the wonderful work that he has prepared for us as individuals and then as collectively to achieve the Great Commission. We serve to glorify God and not ourselves or any human man or woman. We serve through good stewardship of the gifts that God has given us. We serve with our community in mind. And this will give us far more joy than the selfish pursuit of our own pleasure or preferences. We always seeking to give more than we receive is the way of Christ. We should approach the spiritual gifts that in a way that encapsulates the two greatest commandments, loving God and loving our neighbor. Start somewhere, pray for a heart that desires the gifts and to serve with humility and power to glorify God. How will you use the gifts that God is giving you? I'll leave you with the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. We see, we see a king, uh, it's illustrated as the kingdom of heaven. 
And a man was going away for a long trip, and he called his servants together and entrusted money to them while he was gone. To one, he gave five talents, to, two, to the second one, two talents, and to the one, one talent. And it says he gave them according to their abilities. Well, the one that got the five talents, he turned around and turned that into ten talents. The one that got the two talents turned it into four talents. They doubled. Well, the one that had the one talent buried it and hid it and never did anything with it. And he celebrated the other two, and it says... The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servants. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. To the one that hid it, he says, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered the servant to be taken away. How are we going to use what we've been gifted? How are you going to use your gifts? The first step today is to take the prayer card. It's a good place to start. And we have people that can come beside us and pray for us in the pursuit of knowing our gifts. Ask for support as we seek our gifts. Ask for the church to be unified Ask for the church to be diversified. If all of us are ears, how are we going to see? If all of, us, all of us are mouths, how are we going to hear? If all of us are arms, how are we ever going to be mobilized for the gospel? Right? Not all of us are preachers. Not all of us are teachers. Not all of us are missionaries. But we need the most diversity possible. And not in the sake of some cultural Phariseeism, where it's just diversity for the sake of being diverse, but diversity for the sake of achieving the great commission to getting the gospel to the lost and reminding ourselves constantly that we need the gospel just as much. So take a few minutes and fill out the prayer card. This is a very practical first step. And then as you take a couple of minutes to do that, after that, we're going to show our gratitude and remember what the Lord has done through communion. So take just a minute, and then we'll, uh, I'll lead us in communion.